This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon and welcome everybody to the Mike Missanelli Podcast. It's a special podcast, a Monday podcast. Normally, we do a Tuesday, Thursday, but this is a special day for obvious reasons. The Mike Missanelli Podcast is brought to you by the great people at Bet Rivers. Don't forget to download that app. Okay, this is a day that I used to love being on Sports Talk Radio. Interaction with fans after such great things are happening. The fans are, are just lit up. This whole town is lit up. So right away, I got to ask you, what is happening in sports in the city of Philadelphia right now? It has just been magical. And we're not used to this kind of thing. So we're riding a pretty good wave right now. The Phillies, they're four wins away from getting to the World Series. Think about that. This team, four wins away from getting to the World Series. The Eagles are 6-0. and They beat the dreaded Cowboys on Sunday night football. And they are, without question, the best team in the NFC. And we'll see where they rank overall. You got the Bills and the Chiefs still out there, but they're by far and away the best team in the NFC. Who had that going in six games? The Flyers are off to a great start for crying out loud. They're getting swept under the carpet, but they're 2-0. and And the Sixers are ready to begin the season where many think that they can win a championship. And tomorrow, in honor of all this, it's going to freaking rain Skittles. I mean, I don't know what else to say in this town, the way things are going on. So, Let's start with the Phillies. Now, did, did anybody out there call this? Uh, be, be honest with me. Did, did you call this? Because I certainly didn't call it. I, I was looking at the Phillies wanting, making the playoffs, thinking that would be an accomplishment. They made, made the playoffs. I didn't know what was going to happen. If they lost in the first round, they lost in the first round. The important thing to me was they were going to make the playoffs. But did anybody have the number six seed in this baseball tournament, which what the Phillies are? And frankly, last year's uh, system, they wouldn't have even gotten into the playoffs, and they needed some help from the Milwaukee Brewers to actually get that sixth seed. But did anybody have the sixth seed facing off against the number five seed, the San Diego Padres for a National League pennant? See, this is why baseball 
is so fascinating to me. It's why I love it so much. It's why it's, it's, it's such a great sport to analyze. Because in a short series, a team can get hot and go on a magical ride. And I've got to hand it to Dave Dombrowski, general manager of the Phillies. He's been laying in the weeds all year, right? He assembles this team, puts together a team, and he knows that you just have to wait it out. That you never know what can happen when, when a team finally gets its perfect maturity rate and they're in the playoffs in a short series. So, so while, while fans are very overreactive in this town, uh, and, and there are a lot of people, they pounded that Negadelphia situation. Ah, who cares if they get in the playoffs? They're not going to do anything anyway. Look what happens. Look, look how the, the town w- was turned on. Um, after one disastrous loss to the Nationals, let's, go, let's just go back a little bit. They lost that game to the Nationals, and everybody's going, blah, 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 blah. again, they're going to blow it. Blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, they clutch up. They win the rest of that series. They, they get Milwaukee to do an Alfaldo, and they come into the playoffs with some steam. So I remember uh, Kurt Schilling when, when he was normal, the normal Kurt Schilling, telling me, listen, dude, he goes, this is the best city to ever win in. And I think the national audience saw that with Friday and Saturday's game. This place was just electric. The nation took notice. I was listening to MLB radio today, and these guys are going, a couple guys were at the game. And they're going, that's the best fan base reaction I have ever heard. They related it to Houston a couple of years ago when those fans down there went crazy. And that's a dome. This is not a dome. And the electricity just flowed out of that stadium in both those days. And I happened to be there on Saturday. Uh, I was uh, privileged to, enough to be there. And we'll talk about it in a second. Uh, the, the life in this ballpark it was just it, you had to be there really to experience it. I know it looks on TV and it looks crazy and they're waving the red towels. By the way, you know, the red towels are there for a reason. Yeah, it's red October. But baseball came in and said we can't wave white towels anymore. So you got you to go red. So that's, that's why the red towels don't white out anymore because it distracts the players or whatever. So here's the bottom line for this series. And if we go with the Cardinal series is passed, if you look at the Braves series, and this is supposed to be the series that they were supposed to lose. Because the Braves were a hot team. They finished 14 games better than the Phillies. And the Phillies in this series just took their heart out. I I have never seen anything like it. One team played with an aggressive killer instinct, and the other played scared. And you could see it on the field. It was very visible. Now, I don't know if the Braves were just like resting on their laurels. They were saying, ah, we won it last year. But their edge was not there. And you could see it. Like, you could see it on their faces, really. The Phillies just filed down their edge, and they did it with great starting pitching. And they lost the game. They got a great start out of Wheeler. But Nola comes back on Friday, and they just went in attack mode on Saturday. One team hit. The other team wilted. The Phillies are pounding. They had 13 hits in that game. They, they get five innings uh, out of their bullpen. They get three hit innings out of, of Noah Syndergaard, for crying out loud. And the staff in that game was handled masterfully. You know, they, they, they don't go by road anymore. They go by situation. They're after Syndergaard, they, they, they throw in Bilotti. And people go, why you, you pitch Bilotti? Well, they, they, they bring in Bilotti because they didn't want to throw a left-hander against the right-handed power. So Bilotti's the next guy up. All right, he gives up a bomb. That's fine. But then Hand and Alvarado are positioned to get out left-handers, and they close it with Eflin. Uh, Meanwhile, let's look at the Braves. 
There are three starting pitchers who were supposed to be formidable, right? They start out with Max Freed. He, he was terrible. Uh, then they go Spencer Strider in, in a mistake that Snicker is going to, like, rue uh, the whole offseason because he clearly was not ready. He had to throw him gas in the first two innings. He completely lost it, and he's throwing 93. This is the guy that throws 99. And um, then they get Charlie Morton. And Charlie Morton, all this hype, he's a big game pitcher. His record is uh, so-and-so in elimination games or whatever it is. Um, here's the stat. You ready for this stat? The Braves' top three starters averaged only seven outs per man. Now think about that. That's three starting pitchers that they're, they're bellwethers. They're pretty good. They averaged getting only seven outs per guy. That's all they got in that game. So Charlie Morton comes in. Now, I like Charlie Morton. He's ancient now, and he didn't have a good last month. But I like him because he reminds me of Roy Halladay. Everything he, he – his mechanics are replicated after Roy Halladay. So he comes in, a big game pitcher. And I'm watching a game. I'm there. I'm sitting in, in, in the stands. And this big game pitcher goes first and third, first and third in the first two innings. And if you're a Braves player and you're playing behind a pitcher like that, your heart just sinks. Trust me when I tell you, I've seen enough baseball and I've played enough baseball to know that when your starting pitcher does not look like he's got it, you start second-guessing yourself and your heart just drops. And I think from that moment on, the Braves kind of talk themselves out of that game. Uh, and then the quirks of baseball take over. Morton gets whacked in the pitching arm with a line drive. Now, okay, it wasn't a vicious line drive. It was an 81-mile-an-hour line drive by Alec Bohm. But he gets hit in the pitching arm. Now, that I don't care like how many miles per hour. You hit a pitching arm, that's going to swell. Eventually, it's going to swell. All right, you're going to be able to stay in the game initially, but uh, it's going to swell. So what that does when he comes back out for the next inning, it dilutes his fastball. So he throws a few fastballs to Marsh, and, uh, and Marsh fouls one off and, and one's a ball. And, 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 and so Charlie Morton's thinking, okay, I don't, I don't really have a lot here with the fastball. Let me try the curveball. He throws a curveball to Brandon Marsh, and bam, it's a three-run homer. Now, again, I, I've been around enough baseball. That is on top of the fact that Charlie Morton is not sharp. Brandon Marsh, of all people, hits a three-run homer. And I'm going to be crude here because to a player, that's a kick in the balls. That just is. You give up a three-run homer to that guy who's way, hitting way down in the order, unexpected, and that's a kick in the balls. And, and you start to go, uh, you're mumbling to yourself, oh, oh, crap. It's a natural instinct. And when you're mumbling, oh, crap, you don't have the mental edge to come back and win that game. So from that moment on, I thought they were cooked, and I thought the Phillies just snatched their heart. And if you look at the game, they get 13 hits, and the Braves are scuffling around to, to hit uh, against Phillies' bullpens. Now, let's, let's talk about Ronald Acuna. Uh, I made a statement when I was doing Sports Talk Radio that uh, the Phillies should hire me as their Dominican Republic scout. And I would leave my job, and I would go to Dominican Republic, and I would mail back my passport so I could never leave, and I would find them a Soto or an Acuna because they're dynamic players. But let's look at Acuna and his El Foldo in this series. Let's examine it a lot of different ways. I think that this kid has been told so much that he's great that he maybe believes it a little too much. And on top of that, 
because he's not hitting, he's sulking like a baby. So let's look at the play that really kind of clinches this whole game. After the Marsh home run, JT Real Muto hits one to the funky wall in center field. Now, you've been to Citizens Bank Ballpark. You know that wall is angled different than the rest of the wall. That ball, first of all, as an outfielder or as a baseball player in general, you're, you have nothing to think about except the situation. It's why it's, it's a simple game. It's complicated, but it's simple because you've got time to process the moment. So if you're an outfielder playing Citizens Bank Park, you know that wall is there. Okay? So at least the thought has to go through your head. If that ball goes there, it may carry him towards my way. So here it is. The ball is headed for that wall. Harris makes a, a, a yeoman's effort to get it. It slams the wall with great ferocity, and it bounces towards right field. His lazy ass is parked in right field feeling sorry for himself, does not make a move at all towards the ball until it's too late to the point where they get an inside-the-park home run. Now, they're already jacked, the three-run home run by Marsh. They get an inside-the-park home run by their catcher? And you expect that you're going to come back in that game? And little things add up when you're a baseball player. When you make mistakes like that, you never get a chance to rectify them. And I, I, got, I got news for you. Those players that saw Acuna do that are gone. They're, they're angry inside. Now, they're not going to say it, but they're down on a guy like that because they're looking at it like, this guy's not a teammate. He's thinking only of himself. And, and because of that, now, now, now we're whacked. We're down 4 nothing. We have no chance to come back in the game. All right, so it was an amazing experience to be at that ballpark. And I'll talk a little later about the jerseys that I saw. It's a little off the beat. But I'm not talking about – I'm not done talking about the Phillies yet. Let me opine about a couple of players here. Let's start with Aaron Nola. Now, you know the rap on Aaron Nola has been he wasn't a big game pitcher. Uh, all of a sudden, he found it. And, uh, you know, it, it's – he has been spectacular. He has been, frankly, unhittable. Now, when you're unhittable and you don't have a fastball that goes 98, you're doing something right. If you look at Aaron Nola, his whole success is, is centered around the fact that his release point is the same exact release point every time he pitches. Because when it is like that, you can't tell what he's throwing. And, and he comes out of the same arm slot, and his breaking stuff is, is great. It looks like a fastball when it comes out of his hand. The breaking stuff you have no chance on. When he's right and his arm slot is in the same spot, he has been a dominant pitcher. Here's a stat that will blow you away, because I know a lot of people were down on Aaron Nola until they saw what he's done in these playoffs. This year, Aaron Nola, and I didn't realize this, Aaron Nola threw 205 innings this year. He had 235 strikeouts and only 26 walks. No pitcher, nobody in baseball history has been able to compile that kind of a stat where you pitch 200-plus innings, have 235 strikeouts, and less than 30 walks. Nobody. No Bob Gibson, no Walter Big Train Johnson, no Tom Seaver, no Randy Johnson, no Nolan Ryan, whoever in history of the game. Think about that stat. That's amazing. So I, I, I got to give him credit. And, and he's going to be pitching in game two uh, with Wheeler in game one. And we'll see how that works against the Padres. And we'll get to that in a second. Now, let me go to Reese Hoskins. Because he forged a golden moment on Friday. Fans love to hate him. And frankly, 
they love to hate him because he's let's let's face it, he's a little bit of a snit. He he does he doesn't like it when people criticize him. He rarely owns his defensive miscues in the field. So when he made that uh, miscue in game two with the hard ground ball by Olsen, he doesn't come up with it and turn the game around. People were down on him because we've seen it before where he doesn't smother a ball or he doesn't catch a double play relay that's right in his glove. He He's annoying when it comes to stuff like that. So he has a little bit of a sniff fit. In the game, he gets booed as they come back to Philadelphia for Friday's game. In the introductions, he gets booed a little bit. Now, I, I know that that's, that's in his ass. There's no question in my mind he doesn't like that because he didn't really own the defensive miscue. He tried to kind of slough it off. When they asked him about it, well, you know, it's a ball I, I, I can get, and I'll, I'll, uh, I've done it before, and I'll, I'll, I'll make the play again. And like he doesn't, people, fans don't like that. They, they want you to wear a hair shirt, and they want you to say, yeah, I, I really botched that play. That's what you're supposed to do. But he doesn't like to admit that. That's fine. That's his pride. So um, then what happens is uh, they walk Schwarber to get to him. So he's got like a double whammy. So I'm thinking his mentality is first pitch fastball. If I get a first pitch fastball, uh, I'm swinging. And bam, first pitch, he hits the shot heard around the world. And, And the bat slam obviously is epic. He raises his hands. He slams the bat down. Now, you know what that bat slam was? That bat slam was an F you to the fans. That's exactly what that was. And that's fine. I love it. You want to F you to fans back? That's the way you do it, brother. And that slam, make no mistake about it. That was, see, you guys take me for granted. Stick that in your rear end. And that's what that was. Darren, the voice in the wilderness, you saw that, right? I was there. And and okay. I, you mentioned the crowd, Mike. Like the crowd on Friday. I, I, when you walk in, I, it's, it's been so long, 11 years. I was just breathing in that intensity. The intensity was there from the first pitch. That crowd was wild. I felt like it was at an Eagles game. An Eagles game have three times the amount of people there. But in that moment, like that that inning, that third inning, like the great at bat by Stott, he gets all he get he gets the first run in. They walk Schwarber. First pitch to Hoskins. Boom. You can't we no one could catch their breath because the very next pitch is another boom. Harper hits one out. You just you couldn't catch your breath. It was an absolutely epic moment for the crowd, for that team. And at that point, you were just like. You know, that you just knew that feeling like we're going to win this series. This team, that's what baseball is. It just it can transform in a blink. And the Phillies have transformed. And you can just see it in their body language. They walk around with a swagger. They know they're going to hit. And and the Braves look exactly the opposite. I mean, let's look at all the guys on this team. Uh, Alec Bohm, uh, Stott, who you said had the great at bat. Now, now he he's not a great shortstop. He's an okay shortstop. But he's tough. He's a competitor. And uh, they, they get some input out of Marsh. Now, they hadn't been getting any input from the top of the order, and it really didn't matter. They've even turned Segura into a team player. He may be the worst team player in the history of Major League Baseball. Been traded four times. I know a couple of stories where he, he's eating food in, in the, from the clubhouse while the game's going on in his car. And they've turned him into a team player. Uh, so it's it's just been uh, an amazing thing to see, 
and and now so the, it leads us to to the next chapter, and it sets up the fans because for me, I I don't know what to say at this point about the Phillies being able to get to the World Series. Can can they get to the World Series? Yes, they certainly can get to the World Series. They it's fifty fifty in Las Vegas, whether it's the Padres or the Phillies. The Phillies have this look uh, of destiny, and I, I'm not sure. Maybe the the people in San Diego are saying the same thing about the Padres. And uh, I can't tell how good the Padres are at this point. Uh, I will say this. In a short series, the Phillies have, have proven to have the edge because they had Wheeler and Nola going. Three-game series, five-game series. It changes the dynamic a little bit in a seven-game series. So let's look at it. The Padres will throw Hugh Darvish, uh, Snell, and Musgrove. That's pretty formidable. The Phillies' Wheeler has to beat Darvish, Nola, and Snell. Snell has not fared well against the Phillies. He got revenge on him for, for breaking Harper's hand. He, he usually throws like 75 pitches in the first four innings. So it's going to be a, probably a bullpen game for the Padres in that game. And then the advantage they have is game three, Musgrove uh, against Suarez. Um, the bullpens. San Diego looks like they have a little more depth in their bullpen. But how could you argue with the Phillies right now? First of all, they're probably getting Robertson back. He's not going to jump in the air anymore and strain a calf. Um, and their bullpen in the first two series had an ERA of 1.44. I, I couldn't call it, but the way they're managing their bullpen, they're using a guy like Alvarado in higher leverage situations, maybe early in the game, and then they're figuring it out from there. So uh, at this point, I, I can't say that the Padres have an edge. Um, but the, here's the question for everybody out there. If you listen to this podcast, does it not feel like this is a charm season? Don't you feel now that they're going to continue this ride after after watching what you've witnessed in the first two series? I mean, maybe I'm taking liberty here uh, with the enthusiasm that this town uh, seems to to swell in right now. But uh, there, there's uh, some kind of a feel here. This team, unexpected to get there, all of a sudden can get to the World Series, and uh, they can get to the World Series. <laughs> it would be mind-boggling, frankly. If, if you imagine this team, when you when you looked at all the struggles, and you look at a team at the start of the year with Girardi and and Didi Gregorius being there, and all these slogs that they went through, there is no way that anybody could have called this. And I guess Rob Thompson has to be given a lot of credit. Um, here's the thing about baseball managers: they really don't matter a lot. Because strategy is strategy, and you can manage a game just like anybody else. But what Rob Thompson has done, which is what Charlie Manuel did, Charlie Manuel made everybody in that clubhouse feel their best. That they, 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 he made them believe that they were good players, and they took that confidence to the field because the manager didn't stress them out. And that's what a good baseball manager does. Now, eventually, that will wear out. It wore out with Charlie. Maybe it'll wear out with Rob Thompson. But right now, he he shows those guys that he believes in them. And when your manager believes in you, you go out and you play unfettered. Baseball is that mental game where you have to be free in your head. And if you're stressed out all the time because the manager's getting down on you and he's pulling you out of the lineup or he, he's dissatisfied with your at-bats and all that kind of thing, you lose your own confidence. Because at the end of the day, you're standing in there against a pitcher. you got to believe that you can hit that guy. And if you're cluttered mentally by stuff in the clubhouse, it makes it a lot more difficult. So we, we shall see what goes on with the Padres and the Phillies. All right, I happen to be at the game on Saturday. And, you know, there's a lot of idle time in games. And I'm tweeting. I'm live tweeting the game. 
And I'm making all these observations. I made the observation on Acuna as soon as that play happened. And people were trying to argue with me. Nah, he, it, that wasn't his fault. Yes, it was. It was his fault. It would have been a triple. Okay? It was an inside-the-park home run because his lazy ass didn't get over there. So I'm making all these observations. And so I get bored. And I started looking around, and I see these jerseys that people are wearing. Now, Darren, you, first of all, you, um, let, me, let me just give full disclosure here. Um, I don't wear gear. And uh, you know me. Uh, that's been my, my, I, I came up as a journalist in this town working for newspapers. Spent a lot of time in the press box. You can't be a fan, a true fan, if you're a journalist. You have to kind of remain outside that realm of fandom so you can be objective and be observant and be analytical. All right, so I go to the game. I don't have, a, I'm not rocking Philly's gear. In fact, I don't even own any. And that's really not my style. I choose to go to the game and I'm wearing a blue golf hat and a, a golf pullover, right? But I'm making observations on jerseys because some jerseys, here's my position on jerseys. It has to make sense. And, and so I see the first one I see, there's, this, you know, there's always the one younger guy who has to stand up the whole game, which is fine. I mean, it's the playoffs. But he, ha- he has to turn around and try to get everybody up. You know that guy? <laughs> All right. So it's like, come on, get loud. When you know? I was younger, I didn't mind that guy. I hate that guy. Right. So the guy, and, and, and that's fine. He's, he's into it the whole bit. But, yeah, yeah, I hate the fact that they force people to get up. Whatever. He's got on a Bobo Halliday jersey. Now, for people who don't know what a Bobo jersey is, it's a low-rent jersey that is made cheaply, and it's not, it doesn't conform to what the jersey actually looked like. In fact, Halliday on the back of this guy's jersey was like one-inch letters. I mean, a complete Bobo job. For, so I go, okay, which of these jerseys is a violation, if any? Because there's a kid in front of me, nice kid, young kid. He was really a big Phillies fan. He's got a McCutcheon jersey on. And then I look over a couple rows down, and two people have Cliff Lee jerseys on. So I tweet out, which of any of these jerseys are a violation? Uh, the, the Lee jersey, the McCutcheon jersey, or the Bobo Holiday? And people were fighting back on me on Twitter. And what you get back on Twitter is, uh, Mike, you realize a lot of uh, people can't afford a $100 jersey, right, Mike? Like, why do you have to be an elitist? <laughs> I go, here's my position on jerseys. When you buy a jersey, Unless it's a tribute jersey. Like a tribute jersey is like a Mike Schmidt or a Cole Hamels. Somebody has a legacy. You can always wear that jersey. So when you buy a jersey, you have to know that when you buy that jersey, you buy it in consideration that you might have to upgrade it. So, like, there comes a day when you can't wear McCutcheon to the ballpark. He only played two years here, right? You can't wear Cliff Lee. Because Cliff Lee's last moment here was blowing a four-run lead against the Cardinals. That jersey doesn't work anymore. So, so here's what I say to people say, well, they can't afford it. Okay, if you can't afford it, then save your money to when you can afford it and then make the purchase that's appropriate, right? And in the meantime, just wear a Phillies T-shirt. But you can't wear a Bobo jersey or an outdated jersey. It just looks bad. And if that sounds elitist, then I, I, I plead guilty. But there are rules here about jerseys. There are rules about fandom, and we must follow them. Because if we don't follow them, we have anarchy and we have chaos. Now, Darren, how do you feel about the jersey soliloquy? 
I, I, I'm not a Jersey guy either. I will add one more bullet point to your rules here. I don't like the, you know, I wouldn't have Degatano on my back. I have a Phillies jersey that has missing Elliott on the back. I would never wear that in a million years. Cause it makes yeah, look, it was given but, to you probably to wear it at Phillies promotion or something, right? Uh, yeah, I did. Like, way back in the day. I was given, like the 93 when I was working with Steve. I think is when I got that. Yeah, because we painted our face the whole bit. I, I, I would never in a million years have done that, right? Because I came up different. A lot of people don't understand that when you come up as as a journalist, that's a taboo. You don't, you don't like you can want them to win, but you can't be wearing jerseys being a fan. A lot of people don't understand that, and that, and that's fine. I get it. And so people were haranguing me that it was more of a violation for me not to be wearing Phillies gear than to be pointing out other violations. <laughs> so. Yeah, so, and if unless if you're a kid or even a you know you know an adolescent teenager, jerseys all the way, absolutely. If you're like someone my age, you better have a kid with you to have a jersey on. Like if I was taking my girls down to the game and they wanted to wear jerseys, and I had one they said, "Dad, wear I would wear it with. No, no, or my other friends. Like, I'm not wearing a jersey. I'm just hold not, on. You know, I'm- I don't begrudge people who want to wear a jersey. If you want to wear a jersey to support your team, that's perfectly fine. I just don't happen to do it. But uh, what I'm saying is that when you commit to buying the jersey, you have to make it an appropriate jersey. Like, well, I saw a, a guy in an Eagles game once. He's wearing a Stuart Bradley jersey. I, 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 I'm seriously. I saw a guy at a Phillies game wearing a Kyle Kendrick jersey. Like, you can't. You you can't when you buy a jersey you have to commit to the principle that you may have to upgrade that or you look ridiculous. That's all I'm saying here, and I have respect for the people. Unless you're one of that guy's cousin. <laughs> well, you, well, even if you're a cousin, you can't wear it. But, well, my point is like I get the principle. Well, some people can't afford jersey. Okay, if you can't afford a jersey, then save until you can buy. Like stop buying coffee. Stop buying cigarettes. Put that money towards a jersey, right? Eventually, you're going to get enough money to buy the jersey. And in the meantime, just wear Phillies red or wear a Phillies t-shirt. But you can't throw a Bobo Roy Halladay, a guy in the Hall of Fame, one of the great pitchers of all time. You can't wear a Bobo Halladay. That's all I'm saying. All right? All right. Let's let's get to the Eagles now on this special Monday podcast, again, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Again, this is a day that I would have loved to have been on Sports Talk Radio, talking to the fans and talking about what's going on in this city. So uh, they, they they beat the Cowboys last night. I, I did a late-night post-game show. Uh, we were on through the wee hours of the morning, but it was worth it because there were so many things to admire in this game. The Eagles dominated them in the first half. And, and what they showed was that this Cooper Rush phenomenon – that the people in Dallas are just tripping over. Uh, he wasn't ready for that spot. And, and, and the Eagles, again, with their second quarter dominance, they get up 20 to nothing in the game. Now, th- there were two major events. When I look back at this game last night, there were two major events and turn of events that happened. The Eagles, again, in the third quarter, and a lot of people are annoyed by this, but they're so good that – they, they, they're they able to get regain control. There have been past Eagle teams that have slipped up and given games away. This team shows no personality to give anything away. They always manage to do the right thing to win a game because they're good. And, and a good team like this doesn't slip like we've seen past Eagles teams slip. We've seen all kinds of teams that will – 
when you least expect it, they lose to a bad team. This team is totally in control of that concept. They're not going to lose to a bad team, which means, I mean, this is a team that actually could go 15-2. and two. <laughs> That's what I'm looking at now. But, but let's look at the two major turn of events. The Cowboys creep back. They had a good third quarter. They, they, they finally figured it out when they mixed the pass and run that they were going to move the football, and that made Cooper Rush a little better. They ran the football. They mixed it up, and they, they get a couple of touchdowns. And so now this is what I'm talking about, the difference in this Eagles team as opposed to other Eagles teams. The Eagles now, when the score gets to 2017, are on call. We've seen a lot of teams, when they're on call, they don't get it done. They punt it back. Dallas continues that momentum. They needed a drive, and they got it. A 14-play drive. They ran the football. They, 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 I'm trying to look at this, this, whole, this whole series, that, how they, they ran the football. But um, in this drive, Jalen Hurts, so you look at his pedestrian numbers in this game. But you look at that drive. He made the big play. He saw a blitz back off. It was the third and four on this drive. He saw the blitz back off. He was smart enough to figure out that middle's wide open. He runs for that first down. He also converted a, 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 a quarterback sneak for another fourth down. He did a great RPO with Gainwell, where he gives the ball to Gainwell, which converts another third down. It was third and one, um, four. Uh, and so that drive defined what the Eagles are all about and defined what Jalen Hurts is about. Nothing spectacular, but when they needed a, a, a play and a drive, they got it. And this is why it's so it's admirable to watch this team because they have the expertise to take back control of a game that they once controlled. Um, so now the, the other thing was, of course, the Cooper Rush interception, where Brandon Grant comes out of nowhere, gets pressure on him. CeeDee Lamb's wide open down the field. I mean, that's a major play. But because Brandon Graham gets in his face, the ball comes out weak and, and it's intercepted. Um, and, and also, the Eagles also, when they get guys hurt, it doesn't seem to matter. Lane Johnson goes out of the concussion. Driscoll's getting his pants beat off by Micah Parsons. So what do they do? They counter. They run the football to stop uh, the, the responsibility from Driscoll to hold up on Micah Parsons, which he was unable to do. C.J. Garner-Johnson looks like he has had a broken hand. He comes back in the game. He gets an interception. Uh, they had to play Opeta again. Like I've never seen anything like this team and their efficiency, their rock hard efficiency in, in winning games. And so they then they win the game going away. Now, now let's look at the other side, because I want to give Nick Sirianni some credit. I didn't know from Nick Sirianni, but Nick Sirianni has been a steady hand for this team. His offensive coordinator has been very impressive. The defensive coordinator's lack of aggression hasn't hurt him because their secondary was lights out where they didn't need a rush on the quarterback, their secondary was breaking up every play. They were they were on the, any break that, that Dallas wide receivers did. Um, the difference in the coaching. Let's look at at, at the at the Dallas Cowboys. Um, it's fourteen to nothing. Dallas looks like they're getting blown out of the building. In fact, the second quarter dominance I think is now the Eagles are a plus ninety something against the other team in the second quarter. But Dallas now has uh, – they get a, a pass to C.D. Lamb. He looks like he's got the first down. He stretched across. He looked like he had the first down. For some reason, the line judge says, no, it's not a first down, and he marks it less than a yard short. Now, Mike McCarthy is the coach. 
they've got an entire staff of people. They got an offensive coordinator there as well. How do you not challenge that play? They messed that play up three ways. Number one, if they were unsure that they could have called a timeout to settle things down. Number two, they, they didn't challenge it right away. And number three, they rushed the fourth down play with some kind of stupid rollout pass. Right? They, they completely panicked in that situation. And to me, that's the difference between a coaching staff that knows what you're doing and a coaching staff that doesn't. They squandered that whole thing. And, and the Eagles gets the ball back at the Dallas 34. They get points out of that drive. How, that's coaching malpractice. Darren, you saw that play. Could you believe your eyes? No, I, and, you know, Dallas is one of those teams where McCarthy doesn't call the plays. Kellen Kellen Moore's Moore. calling the plays. Yeah. McCarthy's sole responsibility at that point in the game is to whether to challenge that play or not. The fact that he didn't have anyone in his ear or even worse, someone was in his ear saying you need to challenge that, and he didn't. That's like you said, coaching malpractice. They are a hard, with the exception of their offensive coordinator, who is a very smart guy, Kellen Moore. They are, and Dan Quinn's not a bad DC, but from a leadership standpoint, McCarthy is one of the biggest loafs in the NFL. He's lazy. And that was a perfect example. I, it's, it's just incredible to me that with all these coaches they have, there's nobody upstairs saying, Coach, challenge that. Coach, T.O., timeout. We got to look at this closer. We, and, but then they rush it. They're like, what is the play that they run? On, on fourth and less than a yard, how do you run that rollout play? Like, who calls that play? I mean, that's line it up and sneak it. And the Eagles have had great success. Uh, with that quarterback sneak. By the way, did you notice when it comes to quarterback sneak and short yardage, you're talking about that, that defense clearly practiced against the Eagles to play to play against that Eagles quarterback sneak. It was I mean And they and they still and they still couldn't get it. They had Van Der Esch come they had Van Der Esch was, was like LeVar Arrington. Like like how how do you fly over the top of snap a sneak if the guy's gonna get low? Uh, yeah they clearly but, talked about that and that was a question that was on their minds all week. They practiced against a quarterback sneak. I've never seen a defense clearly do that. All right, so let's let's uh um, and, and thanks for hanging uh, with our special Monday podcast. Too much happened over the weekend for us not to do this show today. So we're uh glad you're tuning in. Um so let, let let's look at where we are with this team. Because it, 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 you have to really look at it. Um, now that they go uh, into a bye and they come out against the Steelers, who won on Sunday, maybe it's a challenge. I, I can't imagine that the Steelers with either Kenny Pickett or Mitchell Trubisky are going to come in here and win that game the way this team plays at a consistent level and they have answers for everything. So I don't think that's a loss. If we look down the schedule, and we, by the time they get to Indianapolis, I, I have no idea what's going to happen there. Then they have they have Green Bay at home. You Look at the NFC. Nobody is any good other than the Eagles. So I'm not going to sit here and say that Green Bay even can beat them because they're, they're a mess. So where, where did the Eagles lose? So my question to you is, are they more likely to go seventeen and zero, or four or fourteen and three? It's happened once. I, I get it, but see, this is why I phrased the question. You can only choose one: fourteen and three, yeah, 14 or and seventeen three. and zero. They're more likely to go fourteen, 14 and, and three. Far more likely. Okay, where are likely. the losses? Injuries, let's decide, let's say, let's, all right, at Dallas, 
Maybe Dak will be back. Maybe. Do you believe that sure. the Giants are good enough to beat them? I think the Giants are coached extremely well. I don't think they have enough talent. I, Daniel Jones just just does nothing for me. No, okay. I, I so the well, answer well, is divisional the game, to, You never know if the injuries. You know the the, the game at New York. But on its on its face, game. on its face, no, right? Not good on, enough on to beat you. No. On paper, no. Okay, Colts. No. Packers. There's no way they lose to the Colts. Yeah, there's a chance you lose to the Packers because they have that quarterback. All right. So so far you gave me two losses. So my question was. 17 and 0 more likely than 14 and 3. Now, I still say that you, there's a <laughs> there's a trip up. Every NFL team has a trip up in the okay. year. Okay. I are going to lose a game. They're going to lose a game. I've seen teams that have the capability of being tripped up. I have not seen that personality in this team. That's what I'm saying to you. Could yeah, there be a black the great game? Teams yeah. Didn't go undefeated. The great ones. I, I, I get it. I'm looking They're at their schedule. They're not even the best team in the league. I'm looking at their amazing. schedule. I get it. I know. All right. That's going to end this special podcast, a Monday podcast, and we just had to do it for you today. We appreciate you tuning in. Again, you can get this podcast on any of your podcast networks. Like if you're tuning in, you obviously uh, went to one of the networks, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, um, Amazon, uh, or Google. Uh, just uh, just look at the Mike Missinelli podcast, uh, and it's sponsored by Bet Rivers, uh, the great people. Bet Rivers. Don't forget to download that app and uh, and play along with the NFL uh, schedule and the college football schedule. Uh, I will update uh, my my picks. I think I think I went one and two. Yeah, Oklahoma did hit, but uh, the stinking uh, Ravens lost to the Giants. <laughs> And Minnesota, the Golden Gophers lost. So I think I was one and two. But uh, that's my first losing week. So uh, come Thursday, we'll have uh, some some winners for you. All right, everybody, thank you. It's been uh, nice touching base with you on this Monday. This is the Mike Missinelli Podcast. Have a great rest of the day, and we'll have a couple more podcasts for you this week. So tune in. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.